Do you want to switch it around this time, Adam? And do you want to start off with the welcome, or do you want to keep it the same? Uh, let's keep it the same this time. I, oh. I promise I will, I will get ready to do it, but I'm not ready to do it. I like you introducing it, so it's good. All right, hold on. Let me just think about what we're going to say. Latest episode, yada, yada. Are we calling? Oh, is it called it? I should have asked Dan if he actually wants us to call it Stronger Together. I know that was the the tagline of RSA. It feels, it feels awkward to say that out loud, Stronger Together. Hey, Adam, I feel stronger hanging out with yeah. you, man. Thanks. Thanks yes, so much. I feel stronger <laughs> with you, Ian. Stronger Together. Welcome to the latest episode of the Challenge Accepted Podcast. My name is Ian McShane. I'm VP of Strategy here at Arctic Wolf. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Marais, CISO of Arctic Wolf. And we're here to talk about RSA this week. A little bit different. We don't have a guest. It's just the two of us having a nice conversation about what we saw at the RSA conference in San Francisco. Yeah, we're going to talk about the buzzwords, the booth designs, and really what we thought was interesting at a conference that has a reputation, both good and bad. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get some takeaways on sort of where the cybersecurity industry is as a whole and just our general impressions. So let's get into it. All right, so it was great being in RSA this year. Uh, great conference. I think it was really the first one where it seems like everyone's back from the pandemic or any disruption. We're in San Francisco. Uh, I It just felt like everything was was back to its full swing again. What, what did you think, Ian? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a funny one because I've heard some people say that they thought it was busier than last year. I've heard other people say it wasn't as busy last year. As the, uh, sorry, it wasn't as busy this year as it was last year. Personally, it felt to me, like there were a lot of vendors around and not many end user organizations, unless unless a vendor is an end, end user consumer or something else. It certainly felt like everyone I talked to, every badge I saw had a vendor name on it of some kind. Yeah, I really do think that it's kind of gotten a reputation largely of being a vendor con in many ways, you know, almost vendor on vendor. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's totally accurate. I, I do think there's uh, quite a bit of other value there, but um, and maybe it was just this year in the macro environment, macroeconomic environment, or something. But I do know quite a few few people who usually, you know, send someone from their security organization to the conference who didn't this year. But yeah, I will say, walk in the streets, walk in the hall. To me, it didn't feel smaller, but it has been a number of years since I've been there, so I'm probably not the best judge. <laughs> it did. It did seem. It did seem. Pretty busy. I mean, and full disclosure, I didn't actually get to any of the the talks or the the sessions RSA this year, so it's probably hard to gauge the actual attendee type just from the the vendor hall where you are actually surrounded by vendors. So maybe that's my clouded judgment. Yeah, but I mean, I, I heard similar things to what to what you heard, but uh... yeah. I mean, personally, I have to say it was great to catch up with people that we work with that I haven't seen for a while, like you. I hadn't seen you in person, Adam, for probably about a year. I think it was May last year um, we last caught up in person. So. Yeah, it was interesting. Both inside Arctic Wolf and outside the company, I felt like I was able to catch up with people that I haven't seen in person in quite a while. Um, mm -hmm. And even some, I mean, Arctic Wolf has grown so much over the last year since I've been here. It, it, oh, yeah. There's some people I never met in person and had that weird... You know, I've only met you on Zoom situation where you're, like, oh, oh, you're, you're taller, taller than I thought. <laughs> you're shorter than I thought you were. And people look at you and you know they're thinking the same thing. So I did have a oh, few yeah. of those moments. Oh. Do, you, do you generally like security conferences um, as an attendee? Uh, you know, I'm, it's a mixed bag for me. I do and I don't. I, you know, I'm, I especially love 
conferences where we, uh, you know, you get great technical presentations and I really enjoy those or even some of the, the classes you can take. Also, just when it's a just huge mass of humanity and it's hard to get anywhere and go to a restaurant, I don't, I don't enjoy that part of it. So yeah, I don't know. I like some of the, the smaller conferences, maybe like there's a great one in Utah where I live called St. Con where you get some really high quality presentations and it's just not with the same, you know, number of people footprint. It's, it's a great conference. Yeah. I would have liked to have gone to B-sides that precedes, um, RSA conference. The bit I struggle with is because I've been in the vendor world for basically my entire adult life now. I don't remember what it was like to go to a show when I wasn't a vendor. Like, I don't remember what it was like to go as a practitioner. I think you were probably a bit closer to that, right? You've gone, I assume you've attended as both law enforcement and as a end user organization, right? Correct. Yes. In fact, this is my first time as a security ven- vendor oh, on, the, on um, the dark side yeah all the rest of the time all the b-sides and all those i've gone to it's always been as as law enforcement which there was you know a, we would try to go pretty incognito but sometimes we were more or less welcome to some spot of the, the presentations because they spot the fed spot the fed yeah so they they think we're there to like catch people <laughs> which we weren't we're just there to learn like everyone else i mean I, i'm sure there were others who were who were there to catch people but certainly not us uh and then and then yeah as an end user and uh yeah, I've really enjoyed a lot of those. Certainly building the relationships is great. Mm. Uh, but man, RSA was just huge. Have you been to Black Hat recently? Like, I'm interested in the non-vendor comparison of RSA and, and Black Hat, because in case you haven't noticed, I've got a fairly jaded perspective on some of these conferences. Yeah, no, I actually haven't in a number of years. It's been a long yeah. time. I used to, back back when I was a fan, I used to send uh, you know friends to go to those <laughs> and then come back and let me know what, what happened and uh things like that but but no i haven't been in a number of years yeah one one of the i was going to say biggest worries but that's not the right phrase to use one of the one of the observations i had prior to the pandemic was that black hat had moved away it was moving in the same direction as rsa instead of being you know an educational primarily an educational forum for people to go and listen to interesting talks it was becoming more of a selling tool or a demand generation tool for vendors which was was starting to get a bit frustrating yeah, and and I have also heard that, and I unfortunately think that's the the situation. One thing I was thinking about prior to RSA was how many booths were going to be slapped with stickers talking about Chat GPT. Like I was expecting to see like Jack, uh, Chat GPT everywhere. You know, intelligent bought this, AI bought that. But I guess a lot of the booth printing was finished before the rise of <laughs> or the re-rise of AI, right? Yeah, it really, it really, I was expecting the same thing, generative AI everywhere. And you know what? I just didn't see it on all, amongst all of the other buzzwords on the uh, vendor booths. I I heard that it was talked a lot about in in some of the, you know, the talks and presentations. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So I think it was more contained to that. And I, I did, though over here and then heard myself when I was going around to some of the vendor booths, them talking, throwing AI into the conversation. So I definitely heard yeah. you know, yeah. sort of a verbal slapping of the sticker on, <laughs> on the product, but not, not as much on the actual booths, I guess. Yeah. I, I had the same thing. I think there was, there was one vendor and I'm assuming we, we probably shouldn't mention vendors by name. Um, but there was one vendor, I think that announced the integration of some of that, chat gpt like technology into their platform in the in the form of a, a chat bot which again you know isn't really new and that's a funny thing i think you know mark 
is it fair to say that marketing is trying to push generative AI and AI in general as, as the new hotness again, when the reality is like the security industry, if anyone, has been you know one of the fastest adopters of, of, um, of AI or, or machine learning, right? Yeah, I do. I do think, and we we could probably have a whole show on that. But the the <laughs> hype around AI is yeah. uh, a really interesting thing. I think I think both it it does behoove organizations to look at this mm. new generative AI, especially if they haven't been looking at it recently, to understand what the power of large language models is, and mm-hmm. and you know find value there if they can get value both mm-hmm. you know within their product and across their organization. I mean, I think that's a really important thing to do. Mm-hmm. I also think it's important not to. Let your marketing team go crazy and overhype what what's possible with it, and yeah. also not to you know jump the shark too early with your product <laughs> itself. But this has real bottom line implications. I mean, I think there was a company recently that does uh, education. I think it's Chegg.com. They do like education, and they mentioned uh, the effect of generative AI on their bottom line, and their mm-hmm. stock took a huge hit, like 30 40% or something like that. Whereas I think if they controlled the message a little bit more, they may have been able, you know, if they're saying, hey, we're integrating this, this, this is how we're innovating, rather than, hey, oh, we're, I see. you know, they, we're they getting took a hit because they said this. they were using it. Yeah. So I, I mean, a lot of times we like to poke fun, like, ah, you got everyone's getting on the bandwagon, but to some degree, if everybody's thinking about it, they do, you know, investor analysts and shareholders and everybody else, they want to know, Hey, are you staying up with the latest hotness of AI? And you've got to have at least a story around it. Hopefully it's a true story. (laughs) Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully you're being accurate and uh, helping guide people down the path of like, yeah, maybe it doesn't do what you think it does. And, you know, that doesn't mean yeah. what you think it means, but, but here's how we are using it. I think that's really important to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think I saw some of that at the conference and then also just people throwing it out to, you know, if we can make a sale, cause we have AI, that's great. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, I thought this year there were less of the scareware type of headlines. And, you know, I certainly didn't see these. Unless you buy this, you're going to get pwned. Like, there wasn't as much, like, scareware against, you know, about something like ransomware. I mean, there were still people hawking for, for badge scans left, right, and center. Um, you, you mentioned an interesting point. Like, my, around AI specifically, I, I've been very much on the team of eye rolling when I hear people talking about malware generated by by AI or by ChatGPT. But one thing I did hear at RSA was a specific example of a proof of concept that uses an open AI like technology to rewrite its its main Python code with every infection. So trying to avoid detection, almost trying to, you know, obfuscate its worm-like behavior, which I thought was an interesting take on it. Now, obviously if you've got an environment that's got good detection and, you know, strong um and no prevention capabilities it's not necessarily going to change the game but being able to mutate again is again proving how cyclical this industry is if you think back to the early days of, of file-based malware and how things were specifically tailored to rewrite themselves to avoid heuristic type rule detection yeah absolutely it is it is interesting to see the the cyclical uh nature of the industry and i mean i think those kinds of applications you know that you hear you know, you know chat GPT or whatever generative AI is going to help write phishing emails. And mm-hmm. there, there's all these really obvious applications, although that one's a little clever. I hadn't heard that one, you know, until RSA, yeah. but I'm, I'm interested to find out when people really get to dig in and spend some time with this, what, how it's going to affect, um, you know, both attackers and defenders. So once, yeah. once maybe some of the hype dies down, 
we can really dig into this as an industry. I am curious mm-hmm. to see what sort of unanticipated things are going to come out of it. But but I also did I also did want to say that like I think there there are real reasons why companies are all talking about AI. I just oh, want I to see yeah. where the rubber meets the road on this. But yeah. but I was also curious just so so we're like we've kind of you know dived into that subject that particular you know hype model that's out there. But I'm curious what was your sort of take on especially down in the vendor hall, what was sort of your take on, you know, as much as that is sort of a funhouse mirror of mm-hmm. our industry, you know, in mass um, as a whole, what what is your take on that? And what do you think it reflects on, on the industry or at least how the industry is thinking about it? <laughs> my, my favorite thing, my favorite thing to tell people that I saw at RSA was one vendor booth had an actual whack-a-mole game. And if that isn't the perfect analogy of cybersecurity, I don't know what is. I didn't, unfortunately, didn't get to spend any time and see if they were, you know, linking that into their talks or if it was there for ironic reasons or just for entertainment. But I thought that was pretty great. Oh, that is great. That is amazing. But, but in general, what the, the most interesting thing to me, the most interesting and the most surprising thing this year was that the outside of the bigger vendors on the north side, the biggest booths in the south side seem to be startups, small or smaller organizations than I would expect to see having big booths. They're mostly the, the clouds, um, cloud security companies, but they had some enormous booth presence there. And I, you know, Compared to their size and market penetration, I was pretty surprised. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think kind of what I was sensing, and you know, this was just my subjective experience, but I think what I was sensing on the floor is you're starting to see this real, or maybe not starting, but it was definitely a reflection, like a real world reflection of kind of platform versus point solutions, right? So mm-hmm. you had a lot of little booths and and some you know medium sized booths of point solutions, you know, very specific tools. Mm-hmm. services for a specific cybersecurity application, right? And then you have more of these platforms where people are trying to be platforms, you know, your Google Cloud, Microsoft, you know, all these big, these big vendors. And mm-hmm. I I think, and maybe it's just a matter, but what I was seeing is a lot less interest around those point solutions and a lot mm-hmm. more interest around the platforms. And in talking with other security leaders, I do think there is this, especially in this time of, you know, tightening the, the belt, mm-hmm. this idea of like, I'm looking at, I'm looking at platforms and I think we've talked about on the podcast before, you know, like, is it, is it, you know, platform or best in class, right? Cause sometimes yeah. you're making the choice between the two. And I, I think what I was seeing was maybe a lean toward platform. If I can get, you know, mm-hmm. a 70, 80% solution and it's already on the platform I already have, I already know it integrates. If it's not, you know, a non-integration, like it's a real integration <laughs> it's there. It's real, yeah. Uh, you know, I can get, I can get that value out of it and I'm just going to go with that. So, you know, that's, that was one of the thing, things I think I was seeing while I was there. The corollary to that, and now I'm second guessing whether that I've actually used that word correctly. The the, op- the opposite view to that maybe is that I saw also a lot of people talking about platforms and the platformization of, of security. But what I took away from it was that we are at risk of perfect being the enemy of good like everyone's talking about being able to do everything you want from this tool on day one like trying to zero trust is a is a great example because i've had a couple of two or three talks from from different vendors talking about zero trust and they all seemed to be leaning into how air quotes because this is audio but how easy it is to roll out zero trust to your entire organization and i'm sat standing at the back thinking for maybe that's fine for small organizations but i would prefer and 
this is where I want your perspective, Adam, is I would prefer to take bite-sized chunks and get it right, maybe by attack surface, maybe by group, and really think about least privilege in that group rather than similar to how MFA used to be described. It's always too hard to do everything. I'm not going to do it at all. So hearing all these big talks about our platform can take everything you've got and roll it all into one thing and you know build your security platform all at once seemed a little bit scary. Yeah, that is daunting. I mean, if you're at like the perfect moment in your growth as a business, there might be just a great moment for you to jump on a platform like that. And then as you grow, you can grow into it and you don't have to do a lot of rip and replace but almost no one has the money to spend when they're at that moment to, to do that kind of rollout. So, yeah, I think it, I think it, it, you know, obviously they can make it sound easy, but that, that can be really hard. Yeah. Um, I think where a platform like that can really shine is where um, they can either just work well with what you have existing right now. Yeah, exactly. And integrate with that. Or it's something that you can do piece by piece, right? Like mm-hmm. I can roll out this, this year and the next year, I can I can buy this additional license or this additional item and I can roll that out, but it mm-hmm. is all part of the platform and I can replace what I have or roll out something new. I think that's a much more uh, realistic model because trying to do a holistic, I'm just going to completely change my environment, lift yeah. and shift or however people want to, it's always way harder than you think it's going to be and, and it's and always going to you know. take longer. It's like remodeling your house, right? It's always going to take longer, <laughs> more money. Exactly. It's supposed to be in there by Christmas. It's Easter. You're not in yet. It's it's going to be something like that. And, you know, I realize that the folks that are talking are trying to sell the the dream of ease and simplicity and security, right? But hearing people say, oh, all you have to do is add your cloud API keys and we'll take care of everything else for you. It has red flags and alarm bells ringing at the top of their lungs. Yeah, I do think another challenge for the uh, for the platforms, and I think you and I noticed this. We we took a moment. We were walking around mm-hmm. together, kind of look at the booths, and I. When you get that large, or you have that many different elements to your solution, you can have every buzzword slapped on the side of your booth or your the box, and it just becomes like, well, what do you do? Like, yeah. oh, I look at the vendor, I'm like, I, so I've heard of you, and now you have every buzzword in cybersecurity, and what do you do? Like, I felt what like is it that you're actually doing it. What's the value you bring? And it can be kind of you can get lost in the noise. I felt like Threat Intel was that badge of honor this year. Like almost every single booth, whether it was clouds, endpoint, I don't even know what you know. Everything API security had this label of Threat Intel, Threat Intelligence on the side. Whether they were consuming it, using it, producing it, I don't know what. But it seemed like that was the the phrase that was around. I was surprised to see that so much more than than AI. To be quite honest, yeah, it's true. I saw. Yeah, we definitely saw. A lot of that. So was that was there anything uh at the show that you were particularly excited about or thought might have some promise or would be something you want to take another look at? I mean I still feel like as an industry we try and cater towards the cutting edge. So again, talking about being able to roll stuff out and deploy it and having spent, you know, so long talking to normal organizations, right? Not the the not the the haves of the of the world that, you know, have unlimited budget and unlimited people to throw at it. I still feel that there's a huge amount of the market that is not catered for because these tools don't run themselves. These tools are not cheap. And when you're catering for the you know top 100 organizations globally that's how you become that's how you communicate with the rest of the market and i think it alienates some of these customers that can't do it but there was someone that both of us were talking to that was you know um that attended either your talk or my talk right at, the, at our booth and they were saying that they were getting frustrated at having to have this conversation because they were a construction company i think and they were getting you know 
it, they were getting um, frustrated trying to communicate how important cybersecurity is to a construction company, but no one comes and markets to them because they're not, you know, on the cutting edge of technology or something. Yeah, I do remember that conversation. And it was interesting to me that I think there is another assumption that if you're not a tech company or if you're not in heavily in tech, that you don't understand cybersecurity and don't care about it. And here we have, you know, some representatives from a construction company come up through that company and they're as concerned or more concerned than anyone else and really understand mm -hmm. the space. And we're trying to figure out, you know, what the right solutions for them are. So I think it is a really good point um, about, you know, focusing on the whole market and not just the largest enterprises. Just making it more accessible is, is really what it is like, you know, I think, and, and, and that's nothing new for this year. I know you said, what did I take away from this year? But it's the same old thing. It's like, it's just not accessible or it's not as accessible as I think it should be. Like we should be as an industry focused on making security usable by anyone. Yeah, really that sort of demystification of it. And yeah. then also uh, maybe some of these enterprises need to get a little bit better at saying like, here's, here's the everyday solution. And yes, we have the super complex or solution that's, you know, really mature for a large organization, but we can also serve you at the, yeah. you know, SMB size or, um, you know, in whatever vertical you're in. Yeah. What about, what about you? So obviously I've been vended for my entire life that you're, 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 you're straddling that post of being a representative of a vendor, but also a consumer of a lot of this technology or, you know, at least a, a, dare I say it, someone with purchasing authority right so what what did you have what did you take actually did anyone ask you if you had purchasing authority because i think that's a great question i used to hear a lot no they didn't i, I tried to be fairly incognito did not want to <laughs> let anybody know what i do for a living because yeah. as soon as i do it's like blood in the water and here come all the sharks but yeah. um and yes i did compare six sales people to sharks but uh <laughs> it yeah i i I didn't get a lot of that, but one thing I got a little excited about is a couple. I saw a couple of vendors for secure browsers, and oh yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're like, I know an idea is good when I'm hearing it explained to me, and I think, well, well, duh, of course, like, and then you ask yourself, well, why hasn't anyone else done this? You know, well, I've done this before, right? Yeah, and there are usually detailed reasons of why it hasn't worked that well before, mm -hmm. and what what the shortcomings were, but there are a couple of maturing solutions now in that space and there's some great applications for it like contractors or you know uh interns or other segments of your uh employed population that you want to control or like in the case of contractors i don't want to have to send them equipment but maybe i can just you know let them log in and force them to log in through a secure browser where i can see everything on it and not allow them to take anything outside of it almost like they got a virtual desktop or something like that but it's much more lightweight than that some pretty nice. cool uh, innovations and solutions there that I'm taking a look at. So, is that like the, the new thin client, like you mentioned? Instead of sending out hardware, is it the new the replacement for Citrix and stuff like that? Exactly, and it's like you know, orders of magnitude easier to administer <laughs> and for people <laughs> yeah. to use, frankly. And the speed is because it's just a browser, right? Now we're just controlling yeah. it, and there's there, you're, you're avoiding a lot of the problems of having to like fork Chromium or something like that, uh -huh. and then you own that fork and. It's not, you know, they're doing it in different ways than that. So that they don't have to do that. And it's just layered on top. So, so that was one thing that I thought was, yeah. was interesting. And then the other space I'm curious and watching is the SSPM space, which is, you know, most people are familiar with CSPM, cloud security posture management. This is SaaS security posture management, which is where they're essentially doing the same thing for your 
you know, your cloud, your, your AWS, your GCP or whatever it is, but, but they're doing with all the different various SaaS solutions you have. So Salesforce or uh, NetSuite or Google cloud or Microsoft 365, whatever it is. Right. Uh, and, you know, basically hitting all those and making sure that you have all the right security configurations set up and all of those. I mean, of course they're going to live and die right. by, do they integrate with all of the SaaS providers that we yeah. have as an organization and things like that. But that is a really cool. And I know, you know, there are large companies that have it. There's point solutions. It's an interesting space that I'm watching to see if, you know, some real value can come out of that because, you know, we've, we've all seen the data breach reports. We know how many times a misconfiguration in a SaaS service is what, not just not just the cloud services like S3 buckets, but also a SaaS service, right? Like you might yeah. have not all had the right security configuration set up. Yeah, one of the one of the almost jokes of certainly of uh, RSA conference is always the amount of swag that gets given away, and you know, folks that buy a badge to come and just collect swag and and I don't know, sell it on eBay. Did you actually see any interesting swag? Um, I full disclosure, I actually didn't come away with any swag this year. I didn't get the chance to really figure out who was giving away anything interesting yeah no i well, first of all i should i should uh you know caveat this with i am not a swag guy um so if i come home with an extra backpack or socks or a, a mug it's probably going to end up at goodwill or something but uh or maybe with my kids if they're interested in it but no i didn't so i, I don't have a great eye for that but i didn't see anything super interesting i love the uh, red bull racing uh water bottles that we gave plug, out at one point plug, so that yeah. Was, yeah so that was a cool one but um that's a night to our sponsors no, yeah. i mean there was some there was some fun t-shirts and things like that i saw but nothing major the one the one thing i missed this year so up at, before the pandemic there was this growing trend of instead of giving out swag some of the smaller vendors would make donations to an animal shelter and i can't Fortunately, can't remember the specific vendor, um, but it was always in the, the the walkway between the two main halls. And on the last day of the conference, they would have you know an animal shelter bring in a bunch of puppies or a bunch of kittens and stuff, and you could go you know get your badge scanned to go and pet some animals or something like that, which felt like not only a you know a good way to I guess chase the pointless badge scanning metric, but actually do some good for the community. And like you say, rather than just give away t-shirts that are going to end up in a landfill or, or in you know goodwill, that felt like a much better way to spend some money. Absolutely. I love that idea. Much like they, uh, you know, a number of years, they, they sort of wrote some policies around who can be around the booth to attract people to it. And I, and I <laughs> yeah. like that they, yeah. I like that they tighten up those rules to yeah. get rid of that culture. And absolutely, it might be good to have maybe a little bit more muted culture around swag and let's do more things like donate to charities. Yeah. I actually really love that idea. I like that. Yeah. I'm trying to be a bit more ethical um, with things rather than just produce more crap. Yeah. And I, I guess for me, so so stepping back, sort of my last take on on the conference for me was if I'm looking at it like I'm looking at the uh, you know whole landscape of you know cybersecurity, especially from a vendor standpoint, is it really seems like to me we've hit like peak peak you know vendor peak number of peak vendors. Vendor. I think I think someone's done a calculation that there's five or six thousand different cybersecurity vendors worldwide. Um, maybe that's a low estimate. I don't know, but I think, it, I think that's, I think there's more than that, right? Yeah. I, I, to me, it just seemed like, well, that was borne out by what I saw. <laughs> and yeah. I know if you look at the reports of like the, the amount of investing and in M&A activity, you know, it peaked a few years ago and it's been sort of steadily coming down. I think my prediction, I, I think we're going to see is a sort of a great consolidation and some of these point mm -hmm. solutions of like, you know, preventing left-handed people on Tuesdays <laughs> from clicking on phishing links. 
are going to be, you know, either run out of business or they're going to be subsumed in some larger corporations. We're going to see a bit of a consolidation across the, yeah. the industry. Uh, but that's that's just sort of if my take. I mean, it didn't quite feel that. like, you know, pets.com, you know, <laughs> yeah. the web in the 90s, but but kind of close in some way. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the, the capitalist economy over the last 10 years has really enabled a lot of investment, which means that there are a lot of companies that are, in my opinion, providing very small features that should be part of a bigger problem-solving platform, right? Um, so exactly as you say, I think that, you know, this industry has talked about vendor consolidation from the side of the consumer or the, the end user organization for a long time about trying to get this mythical single pane of glass, this thing that manages everything and can bring everything into one to one usable, manageable platform. I think you're definitely right. I think there's just too many vendors for the amount of money that can, or the amount of humans that can actually operate these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I think we'll see that. Um, but I think another takeaway is that it's definitely, the industry is definitely alive and well. So it certainly is. And what a, what a way to end. Well, like I said, it was good catching up with you in person. It's great to to compare notes about RSA as well. And make sure that we all, you know, took away the right things. So thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for hanging out, Adam. Yeah, it's been great. And thanks everyone. <laughs>